Hi everyone, welcome to episode 59 of Honestly Unbalanced. This week we had on the wonderful Kimberly Snyder. Kimberly is a spiritual guide, meditation teacher, nutritionist, holistic wellness expert. She's also written three New York Times best-selling books, including one with Deepak Chopra called Radical Beauty. And she also has a brand new book coming out. I believe it's out now. And it's called You Are More Than You Think You Are, which we go into detail in the podcast episode. Kimberly also hosts her own podcast called Feel Good. And she's the founder of Saluna, which is a holistic lifestyle brand that offers wellness products, digital courses, uh, practical enlightenment meditation, her own signature meditation technique, and the Saluna Circle. It was such a delight to chat to Kimberly. She's a wonderful, inspirational woman. And things that we talked about in the podcast included morning routines, how Kimberly uses meditation as an anchor, the link between food and emotional well-being, which is a topic that always really interests me. We talk about what is the true self underneath all of those layers. We talk about moving past comparison and competition, the trap of the spiritual ego, what it means to fully surrender, and how fearlessness leads to enlightenment. This was such a juicy episode and I feel like we could have chatted to Kimberly for hours longer, but hopefully you feel like you receive loads of wisdom and insights from this episode. And as always, guys, if you like it, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review because it really helps us to go up in the ratings and, you know, our purpose is to spread our message and our conversations far and wide so that other people have access to these amazing inspirational conversations. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode episode and we'll catch you somewhere soon don't forget guys that you can also get 10% off all life form mats which are undoubtedly the best mats out there Adam was very happy and excited to get his hands on the brand new olive green life form mat so just head to life form and type in code hustler h-u-s-l-e-r to get yourself a juicy little 10% off all of the products and the mats there And also, if you're into online yoga, sound journeys and meditations, you can practice with us at home online. Just head to thehustlers.com and there are hundreds of classes from me and Adam, yoga, asana, meditations, sound healing, the full shebang. So you can have a look at thehustlers.com and check it out. Thanks so much, guys. We've seen your morning routine. I think I read it on a, a blog somewhere <laughs> where like, everyone we speak to on this podcast has a really intense, in my eyes, morning routine. Like, it's wonderful. I just can't imagine doing it. Like, it's just really admirable. So tell us a little bit about your morning routine. But I guess more importantly for me, how you have the willpower to do <laughs> to do that morning routine. Well, you you know, for me, it's it's become you know, it's developed over time because I see the difference when I do my morning routine Mm -hmm. and when I don't. So the natural motivation is just, I feel so much more focused. I feel in flow. My day goes better. So it's not like, oh, you know, I I can't eat the the cookies that I want to eat because I'm depriving myself. It really feels like if I do this, 
my whole day is better. Mm. So it's been something that's evolved over the last few years, I would say. Um, and I have two very young sons. I have a 16 month old. I have a five year old. Wow. So that certainly added a little bit of a twist in the morning routine. My uh, the most important part of my med- my morning routine is my meditation practice. And it, it shifts a little bit. You know, when the little one was up super early and then would go back to sleep, I would fit it in, you know, at a certain time. And now they're both up. So So now I take older brother to school and then I do my meditation after school when the other one's napping. So there is a little bit of flexibility. Um, But for me, the most important part of the morning is always finding time to meditate. Mm. And when I do that, I just feels like it settles my energy. It centers me. I'm less reactive. It's easier for me to discern what foods to eat during the day. And I just feel um, so connected to the true self, Mm. which is something that I talk about in this new book, which is where I get my best ideas, where I feel my most creative, where I just feel that flow. Besides meditation, the first thing in my body is hot water with lemon, Mm. which is, um, you know, back to the Ayurvedic concept. If we want to stoke Agni in the morning, we want to get our digestion going. So there's something about hot water that brings us into presence in our body Mm. because it's that that fullness, that heat. Also, the water is, you know, feels full in the stomach. So we just we start to come more into this moment. And I, you know, lemon is great for your liver tissue rebuilding, which is your main detoxifying organ. It's got lots of vitamin C. Sometimes I throw in ginger when it's cold. So it starts to feel that warming quality of, mm. of presence and, um, and again, just better digestion. And then I have my two, two SBO probiotics that our brand uh, Saluna creates, which are based in the, you know, the kind of bacterium that you get from unwashed veggies that come from the soil, yeah. which is how our ancestors used to get probiotics. Mm. I'm a huge fan of gut health. I think it influences our moods, again, our creativity, our calmness, our our energy, our skin health, everything comes from that. So that's always my, you know, if I'm going to take one supplement a day, it's that. Mm. And then typically I have the glowing green smoothie, which is, you know, it's not concentrated in fat or protein. So it adds fiber. It's a nice way to sustain your energy levels in the morning. And then later when I start to feel more hungry, I eat solid food. Mm. So, so that's sort of the run through. And it, it, it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not really um, a lot when you get used to it because I stack things, meaning I'll drink the water. I'll have the hot water with lemon while I'm taking the probiotic. I don't make the smoothie every day. I make it every other day, but I always find time to meditate. Mm. So that's sort of, that is my anchor. Someone wrote about that recently. The idea, I forget who I read, who, who I read. It was uh, the, the idea of habit stacking. If you want to do something yes. and make it easier, like do something, could you brush your teeth every day? Do five press-ups, for instance, before you brush your teeth or like, and suddenly that habit becomes, a good habit becomes easier to it, form. It's the book Atomic Habits, yeah. I think. Yeah. One thing you said there, you said when you meditate, it kind of tunes you into what you want to eat that day or something along those lines. Can you expand a little bit more on that? How the meditation helps you discern what you should eat? So my philosophy is based on something called the four cornerstones of true wellness. And, you know, now this is um, 10 years since I started six books later. And my first two books were really focused on food Mm -hmm. because that's where I was on the journey. I was confused about how to eat. I was super bloated. I was trying to lose weight like most women. Um, So then I started to work with, you know, hundreds, thousands of clients. I started to really understand more about energy. I started to go deeper and deeper. So now where I am today, it's food, body, anything beyond food, you know, the supplements we take, our sleep, our, um, you know, uh, exercise routines, emotional well-being. 
and spiritual growth. And what I have found is that we need to treat ourselves as whole beings and really nourish ourselves on all levels. And often if we're having problems in one area, let's say it's food, diet, food cravings, inability to lose weight, sluggishness, and you know, our energy, whatever it is in the food cornerstone, it's not about going deeper and deeper into that cornerstone. You know, so many people come to me and they're like, oh, maybe I, you know, I'm not getting enough riboflavin or I'm still eating too many carbs or there's sneaky sugars here and there. They're trying to obsess more on that cornerstone. What I find it's about going wider. Mm -hmm. So we we look more holistically because often it's the emotional cornerstone for a lot of people that's missing, being able to understand how to process feelings, how to process stress, mental health, all of that triggers our hormones to um, to imbalance. There's a cascade effect throughout our body, our nervous system, the relationship between our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system goes out of whack. So we're trying to find that, you know, that center. And so the easiest thing to reach for is the food mm. because it's physical and we can pick it up. Same thing with the spiritual cornerstone. For me, I define spirituality as you know this experience of more self-awareness, awakening to who we are beyond this shell, the ego, you know, what we look like, what we do, but this energy inside of us, you know, the voice mm-hmm. of the, the instincts, the the intuition, um, the the steadiness, the steady part of us, the part of us that's watching the thoughts. So I've found time and time again, you guys, when we work holistically on the cornerstones, um, then the all of it starts to balance. So when we do meditate, we are able to come back to center. We're able to be more in tune with our energy. And I know with clients, when I meditate with them, when we start to talk about feelings, when we do journaling practices, when we take in this stuff that doesn't seem like it would be related to food, the food cornerstone starts to naturally Mm -hmm. heal without the obsession. You know, and I, you know, know from personal experience, my own struggles with dieting and as someone in high school, I had eating disorders. So for me, food was like my whole world. And then when I, when I learned to take this, oh, I'm like the whole being and this more holistic approach that I teach today, not only does it work the best, but it's sustainable Mm. because then we're not jumping from diet to diet. We're not trying to like, you know, put all our food into a chart and follow it to a T. It becomes this flow lifestyle where we're really supporting our holistic energy. That makes so much sense. And it sounds so obvious when when you say it out loud, but it really makes so much sense. And I'd love to know a little bit more about what you think of as the true self, because you mentioned that earlier. So what would you say is the true self? So when I when I was starting out on my journey, I, you know, I was kind of I think you read this part, Holly, in the book. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) I went into college first. I thought I might be a doctor. I had a partial science and math scholarship. Then I interned in a hospital one summer and I was like, this is not for me. So I worked in Australia for a year and I saved some money. And then I ended up backpacking for what I thought was going to be, you know, three weeks a month, and it ended up being three years. And I know you guys in the UK often take more of a gap year. Yeah, You know, people in the US don't do that Mm. so much. So for me, it was like, what are you doing? Are you wasting your (laughs) education? Where are you? <laughs> so I ended up, you know, and you, I don't know if you guys have traveled, you've backpacked a lot, but wow, we can do it really inexpensively. It's possible to do it really inexpensively, um, you know, if you are okay with roughing it. And I was. So I ended up being in Asia for about 18 months. And then I was in Africa for about seven months. And then I was, you know, in Eastern Europe a bit in South America. 
But the reason this is um, important is because I was out of the Western world mm. and I was really open to all of these different ideas and philosophies that I was learning about for the first time. And one of the places where I ended up spending a lot of time in was India. And it was in India where I started to read about true yogic philosophy. I started to learn how to meditate. And it's where I started to understand that yoga is not about these poses that people think yoga is. Mm. It's really about union. And so, you know, out of 196 yoga asanas, only three mentioned poses. And it's about holding your body in a steady and comfortable position for meditation. Mm. So the true self is um, a yogic term, especially coined by the great yoga guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, who's the one that brought yoga to the West. Mm. He's the one that left India, came to the United States and started to really talk about this um, oneness this under like these universal principles that apply to everyone, no matter if you're a relig you know, in any sort of religion or you're not. Mm. It's about this creative cosmic intelligence that runs through all things. So the true self means that if this intelligence is in everything, it's also in us as well. So the true self is um, the goal of meditation isn't just to sit with your eyes closed and relax, which is what I think a lot of people in the West, be, you know, start to think it is just like they think yoga is these poses. Yeah. We start we you know, we have these concepts in the West that really butcher the true lineage. Yoga, by definition, meditation is creating that union. So it's about taking all our uh, attention out of just the peripheral nervous system, the senses, which are always looking out and smelling and touching and out here. And we're pulling all the energy into what's called the Shashumna Nadi, mm -hmm. which is the central energy channel, which is our spine into our brain. So when we meditate, we call that attention in this formless part of us, this, you know, Wayne Dyer says this shell of us is really less than 2%. So the true self is most of who we are. It's this infinitely creative part of us. It's when we start getting out of the head and we go with the heart. I don't know if you guys have gotten to the part in the book. I'll tell that story where I met my husband who yeah, is very different, just like you guys. Well, you just did a post about it and I was reading yes, that. And I please yes. tell that story. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell that story next. But it was like, okay, I'm in my heart and I'm not pushing so much. I keep using this word flow because when I started really connecting with the true self, I realized, oh, all these anxious thoughts and all the like, you know, all the overthinking actually screws us up. It makes us doubt ourselves. It takes us on so many different side routes instead of where we want to go. Mm. So for me, this, you know, this connection with the true self, I'm so passionate about talking about it because it's available to everybody. Mm. This unique part of us is inside all of us. And the more we connect to this, and I think this is one of the issues today, especially, you know, in the world we live in with social media, and everything is, you know, so visual. This is when we start to get past comparison and competition and always worrying if we're not good enough because we realize, oh, I, you know, what Moses asked the almighty, his answer was, I am that I am. So the true self is this part of us that is, I am that I am. That's where my confidence comes from. I'm a unique, breathing, living creation of spirit, of divine. And from here, I create. And from here, I intuit what's best for me to flow in my life. Mm. So that is the true self. <laughs> the extended That's so answer. beautiful. Such a gorgeous explanation. And how sorry. does how does that combine to thoughts of lack of self and lack of ego? That's always always a uh, kind of this dichotomy we're playing with, isn't there? With yoga, is we are trying to 
be who we are, be true to ourselves, get rid of the thought, etc., get rid of the narratives. But at the same time, we're trying to let go of ego to some degree and let go of who we are and acknowledge that there is no separation. There is, to some degree, no self. And of course, it's a slightly linguistic battle. But how does your thoughts on true self relate yes. to trying to get rid of ego and trying to acknowledge that we are all the same thing? Yes. So we are all a drop of, you know, we're all part of this. A wave you know, in the ocean. Yes. Source, universe, divine consciousness, God, whatever word we want to use, that is the true self part of us. That is where we want to put our identity. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're having a human experience. Mm -hmm. So we're having this embodied experience. We're in the human body. So we don't want to trample down on the human part of us. Yeah. We are at the same time, we are here and we're also becoming at the same time, which is a little bit of a funny concept because it feels like, oh, there's this duality a little bit where we are this shell, you know, and this is the part that's, you know, going to break down, that's going to age, that stumbles along in life, that sometimes forgets who we really are. And at the same time, there's this resource inside of us, this sanctuary that we can go to time and time again, when we feel like we're not good enough, when we feel like, oh, gosh, you know, I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't know. Da, 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 da. That means we're over identifying with the ego. It doesn't mean the ego is going to go away, but it means our, our real identity is in here. So we don't take this part so seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean we don't have to take care of our bodies. We have to run after our kids. We have to you know, work, we have to do what we have to do. But at the same time, we realize that there is something that's eternal and bigger and, you know, infinitely intelligent and creative that that is where identity is so then we can sort of you know laugh like for me years ago I, you know oh my gosh like i have a zit or i gained five pounds it was like ah, oh, i'm like you know self-worth would tank mm. now it's like oh i have a zit let me you know wash my face put some concealer on but it doesn't ding my self-worth yeah. the way it used to. I notice it, you know, maybe, you know, we have to get in shape or we have to change our diet. We notice it, but it doesn't go back to our full identity anymore. Mm. So it's this, this, um, you know, what Yogananda calls this path of coming into true self-realization of where we put our real identity. So does what, that make sense? Yeah, 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 Did absolutely I? does. And I'm just thinking of the listener thinking, I would love to have some of this in my life. So to the listener, how would you suggest that one gets from A, where you're worrying about what other people think, comparing yourself, uh, feeling unworthy to, to B, feeling like you are good enough and you're connected to true self? Do you have practical steps to get there? Or is it just a case of meditation or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm saying, like, that's why I wrote the whole book. Well, yeah, that's what your book's about, right? Exactly. It's called um, You yeah. Are More Than You Think You Are. Yeah. Practical Enlightenment for Everyday Life. Because I've been on this journey now. I've been meditating for about 12 years. And I would get really inspired by some people like Eckhart Tolle, who I mm. love. And I'd read his books and I'd be like, hmm, but, you know, how do I, some of it just felt a bit like esoteric to me. It's like, how do I do this in like moments where I feel like crap or I'm comparing, sure. like, you know, I need actual practices. So I, I wanted to write a book that was very like laid out and you'll see there's chapters on that focus on confidence, that focus on being magnetic, that focus on creativity and focus on finding real stillness um, and also getting past fear. 
So Yogananda, who is, you know, my primary guide, my guru, um, the book is basically taking these ancient yogic teachings, because I think there's so much value in the old, and pairing it with scientific research and stories to see how much this applies to modern life. So he says there are 26 qualities for a human to develop in order to reach um, our highest potential and the number one quality that we have to work on in order to even get on the path is fearlessness. Because if we're riddled with fear, we're not even going to get on the road. If fear is taking over our life, it's the number one block. It means that we're probably not going to um, get started. We're not going to be able to follow our passions. We're going to be too scared to you know, ask that person out on a date or admit that we have feelings for someone or whatever it is. We have to learn to get past fear. Um, so the first chapter of the book is really um, talking about the practices of, you know, feeling the fear in your body, um, getting out of the head and understanding that, you know, and all these feelings on these emotions, it's okay to feel them, mm -hmm. but we don't want to hold on to them. You know, energy is supposed to be energy in motion. So one of the, the first things that I learned to do and I talk about in the book is really being able to discern between thoughts and feelings and really sit with the feeling, you know, and, and psychologist, Dr. David Hawkins says it, it only takes about 10 minutes for the intensity of the feeling to wash mm. through you. It may come back and back again, but it's like a well, you eventually start to get to the bottom. If you allow yourself to be vulnerable, to feel that feeling and then to allow it to go through, and then you're, you come in a, a clearer place. I think most of us, um, try to escape our fears yeah. by pushing them down or distracting or watching Netflix or, you know, calling a friend or eating a cookie or, you know, a bag of chips or, you know, whatever you guys call it, crisps. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't feel. And so I think it's important to develop that, that confidence and, and understand our true self, first of all, to open up to feeling the full range mm. of emotions, because usually in the West, we're not taught to feel. Oh, so true. And then there's many practices in the book about, you know, very simple breathwork practices about starting to find that stillness in very simple ways, um, getting into the, you know, into those little pockets of stillness and then eventually allowing them to expand. I also have something I teach, which is inspired by Kriya Yoga, mm -hmm. Raja Yoga called Practical Enlightenment Meditation, um, which I offer. It's free on our app and on the website. And for me, it's um, three steps to get into the true self through the meditations I teach. Number one is just a little bit of physical movement, not an asana practice, but just to help the body settle. So then the body doesn't become a distraction because we are having an embodied experience. The second is connecting with your breath. So breath work practices to get out of the mind and into this you know, beautiful union of inhaling spirit and exhaling our unique expression. And then third is merging the consciousness with some sort of seed intention in the I am form. Mm. So when we do that, I am calm, I am peaceful. You know, we start to merge that, um, the limited ego with the expansive true self. So these are the practices, you know, and again, there's so much more detail in the book and the app and the website, but I just, um, I think it's important to have practices and to have tools to make this a part of your life. And it doesn't have to take, you know, all day long. Mm -hmm. My meditations that I teach are typically seven minutes. 
the practices are just a few minutes, but it's just about realigning, realigning, realigning until finally we, we start to make little shifts in our perspective that really it starts to add up little steps, add up into huge shifts in our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found that with personal experience. Yeah, agreed. As, as a practitioner, let's say someone is deciding they want to work on themselves. Uh, and I think in one is somewhere I read you say, you know, what you think certain things about yourself and what you think isn't necessarily correct. But then it can work both ways. Kind of blame devil's advocate that so I know people who are like probably saying to themselves, I'm the best person in the world. I am good. I'm spiritual. And then actually they're not that nice. <laughs> so I, I guess my question oh, is, do you know spiritual what I mean? Ego, yes. that's, and that's a balance <laughs> is how does someone continue to work on themselves and try and evolve who they are, but then not fall into the trap of saying, you know, I am... I am good and then walk out and then swear with their partner. <laughs> you know, I'm a good person. Yeah, no, no, thank you. That's, that's a, that's a very um, important thing that you bring up because I think that one of the most dangerous pitfalls of, you know, working on being more spiritual is this concept of spiritual ego or this like holier than thou, yeah. or, you know, I'm you know better <laughs> than. And so you used an interesting word. You said, I think, this. I think I'm better. So for me, when you are in touch with the true self, you aren't thinking anymore, right? This, um, this, this Sanskrit term satam dharma means it's this experience. So we go, as Eckhart Tolle said as well, you're going beyond thought. And what you're experiencing is, is expansion. You know, this is how the yogis divide it, uh, define it rather. You're, you're experiencing connection and oneness and you know, these, these very yogic qualities, these concepts, these qualities of God, which are bliss, peace, love. So if you're really opening up, you become more humble because mm. you realize that you are, you, it's not you, you are part of this. Like we are in service to this, you know, we're channels, but there's this intelligence that's so much bigger than us. Yeah. So if we're yeah. still stuck in like, I, you know, this holier than thou stuff, or like I did plant medicine and now I am this healer or yeah. whatever it is, <laughs> you know, which we see a lot of in LA, by the way, mm-hmm. um, then you know that you are actually in a way reinforcing the ego, right? So the qualities are a softness and just more humility. I mean, look at Buddha, mm-hmm. Jesus, Yogananda, <laughs> Krishna, like the great ones that walked the earth. One thing, the through line is that be, they became unconditional love and they became incredibly humble. So it's like, you know, you know, you're tuning in where you don't have to say it. You don't, you know, care what people think. You just want to give love and whether they get it or not, it's okay. And that takes time, yeah. you know, it takes more and more surrendering of the ego that wants people to think we're this or that. Um, it's just this softening. And so for me, I feel like, you know, it's this experience of more expansion as well that we feel. I think that's probably part of the journey as well to get caught up in the ego of it and then to sort of catch yourself. I think that's probably part of part of the journey oh, too. Of course. Yes. I, None of us are at the mountain exactly. of Exactly. <laughs> I would love to know, Kimberly, because I was reading a bit in your book about surrender. And this is something, you know, as, as a yoga teacher, you hear about a lot, you know, just surrender, just let go. And it's, it's so easy to say, and the concept is beautiful. Uh, but how do you, how do you, you know, fully surrender and fully trust? What are your sort of practices around this words with wisdom so i think that you know for me the word surrender has to do with merging 
into this moment. So it has a lot to do with being fully present. Mm-hmm. So um, for instance, in our Saluna circle, which is our community program this month, we're talking about gratitude. And, you know, it's like seek gratitude, for example, as a, as a, you know, a very practical concept. When we're thankful, let's say right here, right now, I'm so thankful for being with you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to the light. I'm like, this is the moment. And wow, there's so much bliss available to see here. There's so much joy. If we're not in this gratitude or surrender or merging with the moment, we're in lack. Mm. The lack is, oh, you know, this would have been so much better if we were in person. Why didn't I fly to London or, you know, wherever you guys are? Um, It's fighting against what is. And so we create these walls. We create separation. We create resistance. We're not in the flow of the way of things so to speak, because we're just kind of resisting. And so that's a very contracting energy. That's the opposite of expansion, right? The light wants to expand the love. Everything wants to go out. So when we're not in surrender, um, when we're not in merging, when we're not in gratitude for this moment, all these practical, you know, these things we want to say, we contract in. And that's a very different energy. It's like when you talk to someone and you can tell like they're not really there or they're saying things you know, to your point, but they're not really meaning what they're Mm. saying. They may say the right things, but energetically, we can all feel energy. So it doesn't mean that you don't, um, you know, want to shift things in the future. Maybe you do want change to happen, but that can't happen until we merge here, because then we're here. (laughs) We're not like, oh, in the should ifs or like this should be, we're not fully present in this potentiality of this moment. You know, what Deepak Chopra calls my co-author two books ago, calls the um, infinite potentiality, the sea of potentiality of this moment. So we cut ourselves off from that. So what we need to understand about surrender is it's for our benefit as Mm -hmm. well. I think when we shift things that way, it's like, oh, makes it a little bit easier sometimes. Like this is going to help create great change. We take a breath. We feel the practice is for me, feel down into your body. Do I feel expansive right now or do I feel contracted and contracted feels different for all of us. For me, it's like a hollowness in my heart or a tightening in my throat. I want to get out of the head. You want to feel your body because the head will tell you, you know, thoughts, triggers, like we have all different wounds and stories that we can start to believe, but the body will tell you the truth. So the truth is if I feel expansive right now, I'm in my, I'm with my true self. If I'm contracted right now, my ego is putting up a fight. My ego is saying, oh, she said something to me and she shouldn't have said that. Or my ego is saying, I came to this yoga class and I was expecting it to be like this. And now it's like this. It's like this constant resistance. So what we want to do is just notice and not judge. Take some deep breaths. And then, you know, um, for me, a big energy shift is that simple practice of gratitude. What can I see of light in this moment? What can I be grateful for in this moment? You know, I'm in this yoga class right now and maybe it feels a little shitty to me, but wow, I have a healthy body. I'm even doing yoga, you know, like I have time. I'm not sitting at a desk right now, slugging out, you know, my work something I don't care about. I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm alive, whatever it is, we start to shift back and hopefully find a little bit of a glimmer of some expansion. And then we can breathe into that mm. and shift. And then I have some, um, you know, practices in the book 
um, that you know work with the practice of, of self-generation, um, self-generating different emotions. It's based on some of the research from the Heart Math Institute. There's very practical tools you know, that are beyond the scope of this podcast, but ones that have really helped me, like steps one, two, three, four, five, because we want to have those tools. We want to know what to do because otherwise the mind can um, trick us mm. and then we start to feel more resistance. And then we wonder why we're not creating and manifesting what we want to create. And, you know, back to what we were talking about, you can say things, but if your energy is not aligned with what you want to create, you know, it's going to definitely block yeah. you. So what was what was the start of your journey of creating kind of manifesting what you have now kind of start of the career like how you made yourself stand out when you got your first book deal or like oh. yeah what yeah let's go back to that oh. point <laughs> I love this question because this is this is a bit of a funny story you guys so you know back to what I was saying I was backpacking all around the world and I came back and I didn't have any money um you know I was pretty broke and just like Oh my God. Like it was, you know, just this, uh, like a sharp contrast from feeling free and baby being able to live in India for, you know, a few dollars a day to, Oh, you know, I'm in New York city now and things are expensive and you know, how, what am I going to do? So what I did do is, um, all along the way, I told, I mentioned to you guys, I was in India for a time and I was, um, I described the story actually in the beginning of the book where I went to Rishikesh and I found this book by Paramahansa Yogananda. And he was talking about sort of what we're talking about here, this universality and this um, you know, dynamic will and tuning into this, what he calls the underlying energy matrix and working with energy in a completely different way. And this was stuff I had never heard about. It just blew me away. So I started reading more of his books and then I started applying the teachings and I read autobiography of a yoga. I don't know if you guys have read that one. And I was just reading and reading. And then I started to apply it. I was starting to meditate and work with these energy practices. And I remember sitting, I had this little Murphy bed. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was doing the practices, even in the midst of, hey, I only have a dollar for lunch. And so I'm going to buy three oranges because I read a study that said oranges keep you the most full of any fruit. Like I was really, you know, down to the wire, <laughs> but I was doing the practices and I was going, I was, you know, um, going back to doing my teacher training. I was starting to teach yoga. I was, you know, uh, going back to nutrition school. I was doing these things. And I started to notice patterns emerging in my life. And it was really interesting. I started to see that the practices were really working. And so it was very organic. I just started to, so I started to teach yoga and I started to tell my yoga students, only my yoga students, hey, I started this free WordPress blog. And on it, I was just talking about my travel adventures and, you know, my philosophy about life and beauty and digestion and food. And the funny thing is I knew nothing about marketing, nothing about SEO. I was doing no sort of advertising. I was doing my practices and it just started to grow very organically. It was starting to grow throughout New York City. People were telling each other. And then my first celebrity ever, and I, to this day, you guys, I don't own a TV. I'm not a screen person, but my first celebrity found me. And then I started working with her and I got on a film set. And then I started working with all these big A-list celebrities and producers, again, not of thought. It just organically happened. And then I started getting on all these national television shows. And then people started to know more and more about my work. And then my first book deal came. And this is the funny part of the story. It was from HarperCollins. And my first editor's name was Sarah. And so I wrote a book proposal. It was called Catching the Fire. And it was about 
a lot of the techniques in this book mm -hmm. and the travel, you know, it's part travel memoir, part about this. And I said, here's what I want to write. And she looked at my website and she's like, hey, well, you know, the, the food stuff and the recipe stuff seems to be really popular. <laughs> so why don't we do that book first and we'll do this book second? Well, that first book went to be, you know, the Beauty Detox Solution, which, you know, went on, sold like a million copies, just became this big thing. And so the second book became a food book, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of just got on this, you know, this, this track. And the funny thing was I was working with these celebrities and I was living with some of them for four months during wow. film shoots. And I was doing these big press tours in Europe or a different country every day. Um, but it was never just about the food. It was always the four cornerstones. It was always, I was working with them with the, the emotional part and sitting and yoga and meditation and all of it. So the reason I say this is here I am 10 years to the year, you guys, 2011 was when my first book came out. So 10 years, six books later, now I'm like, here's the playbook. Here <laughs> here's what is, you know, cause I always get asked, well, how did you get started? How did you create all the success? How do you have, you know, three New York Times bestsellers. How did you write a book with Deepak Chopra? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I use these teachings. I mean, that's the honest truth. And I'm so passionate about sharing this because now I think the teachings are needed more than ever. I think even in the last 10 years, I think people's perception of wellness is even more skewed. I think people are more confused. I think people have more body shame issues, um, mm. anxiety, comparison. And I really believe I get goosebumps every time I talk mm. about it. I think these um, these techniques and this information belongs to everybody mm. and not everybody's going to go back and read, you know, thousands of pages of the Mahabharata or the Ramayana or the Bhagavad Gita. And these are universal concepts, you know, so for me growing up Christian and Catholic and, you know, aligning more to that way, this speaks to me. Yeah. You know, my husband is Jewish, like this speaks to him. So this isn't about religion, you mm. know, this oneness concept of working with energy um, supersedes all of that. And you can meditate and be any religion or be no religion. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's about energy. Mm. So long, long answer, but that's how I got started. And these are the practices I use to this day. And I keep creating and it's infinite how much we can create. Now, I know we're going to do some quick fire questions in a minute because I know you've got another appointment coming up. She's got, before, to pick up our, yeah. she's got to pick up our little kitties. Before we do some quick fire questions, is it what do you want people to know kind of about the book and where to get it and when to get it, etc.? Yeah, plug away. <laughs> oh, you want me to just... just sell, it, sell, it. sell your book. Oh, tell us about it. In, uh, give us, give us oh the God. elevator pitch. Give us the elevator pitch. All right, here's the elevator pitch. Well, the, the title of the book is You Are More Than You Think You Are practical enlightenment for everyday life. And as we've been talking about, this whole book is about how to unlock the power of your true self. So it's how do you create your best life, your highest success, um, soulmate, outrageous, incredible love. We didn't get to tell that story, but it's in the book how, you know, after many broken relationships, I found this like incredible love that just gets deeper every day, mm -hmm. how you create your best stuff. There's a chapter called you are a creator. So it's how do we work with our, our unique gifts and, and put them into form in the world. And that's what I was able to do for me. It's the written word with books for other people, maybe, you know, acting or art or um, being a chef or being a computer program, whatever it is, but how do we take our best gifts and put them into form? So it's really a practical guide for living your best life across all areas um, and it's simple. 
so it's accessible. And I will say it does take some work to do these practices, but it's not any more work than you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. It's just a shift of focus. It's from taking all this like pushing and striving out here into um, into a lot, a lot more flow. I keep using that word because that's what it's felt like in my life, this opening of energy. And so again, I'll say while there is, you know, we all like to play with new trends and, you know, new things that come out, there's so much value in the old, especially the ancient. So this is about some, you know, really ancient, incredible stuff that is so useful and practical for modern day. And it's, um, I will say one thing about the book that as people read it, it's very easy to read. It's very short, 21 short chapters. So you can take a concept like magnetism or peace or love, and you can read it in a night. And, you know, really the takeaways at the end are very practical as well. Um, yeah, so that's my elevator page. I think cool. it's for everyone. I know everybody will uh, read this and, and, and hopefully um, tremendously benefit their life. Awesome. We went to a high floor on that elevator. <laughs> <laughs> cool, right, little short questions now. Is there anything, I'm sure you're really busy, you know, writing and doing all the things of being a mom. Is there anything you would like to do more of for you? If you could spend a little bit more time doing a certain activity, what would it be? Oh, well, I mean, you asked my husband and he, he, he sometimes, he's like, my wife, she meditates like 15 times a day. For <laughs> me, I know this is going to sound, you know, you know, because we talked about it a lot, but um, for me, it's, you know, meditation. If I could meditate 15 hours a day, I would just because I know at this point, it wasn't that way 12 years ago, it was very restless and I, you know, did not like it. But now as I've gotten deeper and deeper in, um, as a busy mom, I have a podcast too. I run a business called Saluna. I'm writing books. Um, I meditate twice a day at least, but I would always want to meditate more. Amazing. That's my sanctuary. Can you give us or share with us one of your favorite quotes? Oh, one of my favorite quotes. Um, sure. So this is one of the first ones in the book. This is from Paramahansa Yogananda. And it's um, this darkness may reign in a cave for thousands of years, but bring in the light and the darkness vanishes as though it had never been. Hmm. So what this means is at any point in our life, awareness can come like that. You know, this word enlightenment is about awareness, awakening doesn't mean we're going to be like Buddha or Jesus, but it's a journey. So just in a moment, what we you know, what was so hard, all this dealing with all this anxiety or pushing so much in our career, whatever it is, we get some insight and the light takes away the darkness. Beautiful. And that's what these teachings are about. That's a lovely way to end it. Yeah, I, think. I think so too. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be with you guys. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You take care. Have a wonderful rest of the day. You as well.
Honestly Unbalanced.